footsteps. We look forward to the pitter-patter of little footsteps. We have that first year together. At the end of that first year, we hope they've learned a few things. Like to sleep. It would be great if they would just sleep, right? That's staying up half the night and all those early feedings. Oh, it gets difficult. And we, we spend lots of time in that first year, maybe even into that second year, trying to teach them to say those important words and to talk. Then we spend the rest of those years trying to get them to be quiet again. Makes no sense. Then we want them mobile. And they can crawl and we, we want to teach them to walk. And then we want them, after they've learned how to walk, we always tell them, go sit down. We're very confusing as teachers. 900 and something weeks. You only have 900 and a few weeks from the time they show up until they graduate and move on. It's a short period of time. They show up as infants and little ones. And we try to teach them all the things that they need. But we have no expectations from them really at all. We don't expect them to be able to feed themselves. We don't expect them to be able to clean their room. We don't expect them to be able to really communicate yet. We're going to teach them all of that. There's a lot of parallels that I think God ordained from what happens in our world and what happens in the spiritual world. And some of them are good direct correlations and some of them not so much. But here I think it is. We refer to new Christians as babes in Christ. The Bible talks about them needing spiritual milk and hoping to grow to the point where they can have things that are a little deeper and a little more complicated to have meat, if you will. And yet we as a church, we expect certain things of pre-believers and new believers, don't we? You wouldn't expect a baby to be able to communicate with you. And yet we expect new Christians to know all of the lingo. You wouldn't expect a new child to be able to dress themselves. But we expect pre- and new Christians to be able to come and look like you're supposed to at church. We don't expect babies to do everything right. But we expect people to be nearly perfect before we'll baptize them. We expect new Christians to have their act together. Why do we do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's all about stages. It's about growth. It's about learning. When, when infants come into the world, they're largely trained by their parents. Their parents take on a, a role of responsibility to train them up in the way they should go. Interesting thing happens to them while they're small. They begin to develop their own theology. I call it dog and cat theology. They could kind of go either way. Dog and cat theology is really simple to understand. If you have a dog and your dog looks at you like, just like a baby does, and he says, you know what? You take care of me. You feed me. You clean up after me. You let me out when I need to go out, in when I need to go in. You must be God. Then there's your cat. Your cat has a similar experience. 
You feed me. You take care of me. You let me out when I need to go out, in when I need to go in. I must be God. <laughs> right? And we teach our children simplistic theology. We teach them doctrine. We begin to train them in the things that are important to us. And a lot of it we tell them, but since they don't really communicate yet, most of it we have to show them how to do it. And so we begin to teach them. Now, when we have new believers in our church, when we reach pre-believers out in the community, they still have spiritual parents, if you will, by the pastor, by parents and teachers, other church leaders, to impact their lives and to raise them up in the things of faith. The problem, parents, is if you expect the church to fully raise your child in the ways of faith, you need to understand what we as a church are up against. And in talking about spiritual children, we're not just talking about short ones, not just literal babies, but baby Christians. But for children, as you bring them to church, on average, a regular churchgoer is here somewhere between 40-ish Sundays a year. That average has been dropping over the last while. 40. So here's 40. Now, if it's a child that we're trying to change, and they're here 40 hours a year downstairs for us to teach, well, the rest of the time, they're at home. They're at school. They're in front of the television. They're on an iPad. They're... Who do you think wins? It's pretty easy to see, isn't it? This is where the influence is at. 40 hours a year. The rest of the year. So church, we can't do it all. We must partner with families to raise children. We have a very extremely important part to play, but they have all the time. And we need to work together to make that happen. So you guys that are dedicating your children, the reason that we do that is because, yes, church is important. Yes, we are vital. But no, we can't compete with all of the time. But together, together we can. Why do I like to pray? Because I watched my mom do it every night. I learned about it in school, seminary. I learned about it in church, but I watched her. Why do I like to read my Bible? I was encouraged to do so at church. I had some fabulous Sunday school teachers that explained things to me I didn't understand, but I watched my dad read it every night. Every night. That makes a difference. 
please don't bring your young people to church and go fix them. Because I only have this. But you have this. And we can help. But it's a partnership. I think, church, we should be more focused on families and how we can work together to raise people up. Not just children, but new believers as well. But stages. These are stages we go through. And then, of course, after childhood, we hope they move from infancy in, in, into real kids, into children, into elementary school, into that time where they believe all sorts of things, into that period where you as a parent are still their heroes and you could do no wrong. Do you remember that time? When your kids looked at you like if you said, you know, don't make me fly across this room. And they believed that you could fly across the room. Some of you may have had to do that once or twice. Or when you said, don't make me pull this car over. And they believed that you really would. Now, just for my own curiosity, how many of you have ever actually pulled a car over? Yeah, if you threaten it, do it every now and again, just so they'll know that you will. Follow through is really important. But you know, there's a reason why the Bible says, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean that you need to be childish. But it's referring to a child's ability to believe and have faith in what they're being told. When my kids were smaller, I could put them on top of anything and say... Jump! I will catch you. And before I get catch you out of my mouth, they are in the air. Because they know that their father will not drop them. Although he did occasionally. (laughs) One particularly traumatic thing at the beach. But they believe that you will catch them. As they get older, something happens to that. And you as a parent go, listen, just... Come on. And they go, uh-uh. Might be because of some of those drops. But when Scripture talks about that, it's talking about that in relationship to God, right? On the spiritual side of things. And so when God says, let's go, we are already in motion. When God came to Abraham and said, I want you to turn left and I'll tell you when to stop, and he just began to go. When God comes to us as a church and says, this is what I want you to do, and we go, okay. And we believe, like a child, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. That's the kind of faith that's referring to, and we hope that they don't ever lose that in that stage. Proverbs. The book was written to address all sorts of different things. It addresses relationships, it addresses parenting, it addresses just across the gamut in all stages. And today I want to look at chapter 22 and verse 6. It's a verse you know. And I know that you guys have been camped in Jeremiah for a long time. So today we're going to be in one verse. And I won't ask you to turn anywhere else. So hold on, okay? 
Verse 22, or chapter 22, verse 6, simply says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now you need to understand about the book of Proverbs. It is truths for people. They're all at various stages. A lot of them are written in similes, metaphors, parables, but not necessarily promises. This is one of those verses. This is a general truth. It is a good practice. But God is not saying, if you do A, B always happens. Not the way we think. Because we take that verse and we take it to mean, if I raise them up to be a good Baptist, then from cradle to the grave, they are going to be a good Baptist. It's not what it says. We take it to mean, if I bring them up in the church and I bring them with me to church, then they will always be in the church. It's not what it says. When you begin to go through and pick out the Hebrew that the writer writes with, it literally says in that first phrase, to train up according to the mouth of his way. Well, now it makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? No. Train up according to the mouth of his way. It's not a reference to your children being mouthy. It it has the implication of at the beginning of the time where he is going to be or she independent to have trained them up. Now, there's some interesting things. The Bible tells us that out of the mouth, what? comes all sorts of things. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And so, according to the mouth of his way, according to what the child is, the, the, the idea here is to train them up according to their natural gifts and bents. And so when you read through and begin to pick it out, and most scholars that I have read are pretty much in agreement But the idea that our wise author is trying to tell us, know your child so well that you understand how they're wired. You understand how they think. And you know how to parent them the way they need to be parented. That makes sense, doesn't it? My first child comes along. She's a strong-willed child. The way we parent her is very different than the way we parent the other ones. With a strong-willed child, I give her two options, neither of which do I care she picks. You can wear sandals, you can wear flip-flops. My goal? Shoes. I don't care which one. She picks according to those two, and life is good. But if I say, put your shoes on, she says, no. And the battle ensues. And so I thought I had the system down. I have learned how to train up this one according to the way that she is to be able to guide and direct her in things. Now, the verse is not void of a spiritual aspect because when it was written, it would be understood that you're training them up in the things of faith. But the point of the verse is more about directing them according to how they were wired, 
how they were made. And then God sent us a second one. And when the second one arrived, it turns out that the methodology for the first one does not work on the next one. How many of you have had more than one? How many of you have found this to be true? This is why God has a sense of humor. He sent me a second one, and I could say, you can wear sandals or you can wear flip-flops, and all I care about is shoes. And in her little mind, all that means is there are choices. And she begins to negotiate. Well, have you considered hip waders? No. Well, what about pants that have the feet sewn into them? No. Well, what about... And so the method with one doesn't work with that one. And when the second one came along, I had to relearn how to be a parent so that I could look at the second one and go, put on your shoes. I don't care what kind of shoes, but just footwear, like normal people footwear, please. Right? And then God sent our family from man to man to a zone defense when the third one showed up. And I thought, I have two methods I can pick from, surely. But no, the third one is different yet again. I had gotten used to the second one to saying things with a little more oomph because she understands oomph and not subtle. So I would go, put your shoes on. The third one comes up and I go, put your shoes on. And she goes, it falls apart. It makes no sense. So with the younger one, I can't do it the same way, and I had to relearn it. And yet, at church, we don't take the time to get to know people well enough to know how to train them in the way they should go. Because we have a program that's appropriate for everyone, right? And if we can't pull it out of a box, if it's not written in a quarterly, then we don't know how to do it. We don't do organic very well. And we think every new Christian should be able to follow these three steps and it work out just fine. But everybody's wired differently. And God did that because he likes variety. And so this verse is applicable not only to you and the raising of children and the looking out of grandchildren and to paying attention to your spouse and to your co-workers, but it's also applicable in this building. We can be flexible enough and get to know people well enough to know what they need the way that they need it and be able to accommodate that for the goal of moving them in the right direction according to how God wired them. And they go through the stage. So as revealed here, what we're really talking about is spending enough time listening, learning, loving them to know how to raise them. And if we do that and use those tools to set them in a direction... Not the direction we chose. Not the direction we necessarily think they ought to go in, but the direction that God wired them to travel. Then it says, even when they are old, they won't depart from it. It's an interesting verse. Stages. We move from childhood, we move into being teenagers. 
Right now, Facebook is covered with pictures of people who just turned old enough to get a permit to drive. You should be very afraid. Stay off the roads until after 6 when they have to come in. Actually, it's a little later in the summer. But we only have so many years. And we get them through childhood and we begin to hit into teenagers and they, they begin to change. We use a week to go on vacation. We use a week to whatever we use it for. But now, now they're a little different. They don't want to go out to eat with us anymore because we're not cool. If they go, they're going to sit at a different table. If they're going to go on vacation, they need to bring a friend because they don't want to talk to you. They've learned so much and you have steadily decreased in knowledge over the years till the roles have now reversed. Right? In the eyes of a few of mine, I am still brilliant. In the middle one, we're on equal footing. And on my oldest, I have, I, I might as, I'm an idiot. I know nothing. I hear that will change. But I only have so many years to know them well enough to train them before they graduate and begin to move on. And what I do with those weeks is really important. A lot of teenagers feel like they know it all. And all that they know, they do know. But they don't know that that's not all that there is to know. Make sense? It did in my head. I don't know if it came out right. Spiritually, we have people that we arrive at spiritual adolescence. And a lot of people never leave it. And you've met some of them. And I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just recognizing that it is. But it's that point in our life when we think we have God figured out. Oh, I know what God does. I know what He wants. I know who He is. I, I, I know. And there's a whole lot of eyes involved. I know the best way. I know the answer. I know the... And in fact, I know it so well that I need to make sure you know it. But you need to know it the way that I know it. And a lot of us spiritually, we get, we get stuck right there. Now on the positive side, teenagers really, really believe that they can change the world. And they can. Every, every great movement of God on this continent, every great revival, all of those moments down through history began when students started praying. They can change the world. They can impact the planet. And they believe that they can. And they've not been beaten up enough to where they've wanted to quit yet. I hope that's a trait they don't lose. But I hope that they continue to grow through life's stages to the point where they realize that God is so big, you can't know all of it. I have more questions for God now than I have ever had. I realize there's more of Him that I don't understand now than there has ever been. And the more I learn, the bigger he gets. And I want to be able to train people to see him large with the time that I have. Stages. We're hoping that our teenagers move on to adulthood, that they become independent, that they're able to do it themselves. 
We secretly have dates on calendars where we're hoping that the house will be empty. Or at least, I have one in my mind. I mention it to them often. On my 50th birthday, you're all leaving. I'm picking at them, but I'm also setting the bar to let them know that day should come. And as believers, we want people to arrive there. We want them to arrive where they can open the book and dig, where they can find the answer, where they can see what's going on, to be independent, hopefully retaining all of the pluses from the other stages, but adding wisdom. To know people well enough to train them up in the way they should go with the few weeks that we have. But you know, we take a week and we do whatever we do with it and we make sure the yard's clean and we sort everything out and really at the end of that week, kingdom-wise, what have we done? Not so much. We take a week and we go on vacation. There's nothing wrong with vacation. I think vacations are weak, but uh, are great. But we, we take opportunity to teach our kids anything that, or we're just zoned out. That week could be a plus, or not. I I meet adults who are believers all the time, and and ask them, you know, have you have you ever shared your faith with somebody? You only get so many. Don't waste them. This is two years. Two years. It's a short period of time. In the next two years... What could you accomplish for the kingdom using these weeks in effective ways? I'm retired. You understand that the biblical definition of retirement is all wrapped up in heaven, right? That's, that's Christian retirement is in glory. Now, if you're in glory, you are retired. Lay back, enjoy it. You're there because God has brought you there. He's finished your house. Your mansion's done. Have a ball. If you're here, you're not retired yet. If God was done with you, you'd be dead. Right? If you're not dead, if you got up this morning and you've been out and about, you're alive, God still has a plan for you. Miss Connie retired some time ago, but she's here on Wednesdays and she serves and greets people at the table when you come for Wednesday night supper. Mr. Andy retired some time ago, but he's downstairs teaching children this hour, pulling out what little hair he has left, serving. Church, there's not Christian retirement. Doesn't exist on this side of glory, so don't do it. Don't take these years where you are the most flexible and can do, and I don't mean physically flexible, but the most flexible with things you can do and throw them away. Because we've only got so much time to bring up believers before they move, 
before their family takes them somewhere else, before they graduate to the next stage. That's true in life and it's true in church. Don't waste the moments. Learn people well enough to raise them up in the way they should go. Find somebody you can disciple. Find somebody you can be discipled by. And at the same time, you're pulling one along, be being pulled along by another. And thus, let's impact the world. I want to take a moment and pray for you. And I want to pray as you begin to think about that book, that day timer, all the stuff that you have to do. Is it important stuff? As you think about how much longer do you have with that grandchild before they're gone? Or before that child is old enough and reaches this stage over here? Or how much longer do you have before you retire? Granted, that's an unknown. But what are you going to do with those moments? I want to pray that they would be spectacular. They would be impactful. They would help train somebody up. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for wisdom in a book full of wisdom. I thank you for what the passage tells us. Lord, not that we teach people how to be better believers, but that we know our children well enough to know how to direct them. That we know our spouse well enough to know what do they need. That we know our grandchildren well enough to lead them. That we know our fellow churchgoers well enough we've taken the time to be able to help train them up in the way they should go. Father, in the moments that we have in this here and now, help us to impact the then and there. The then and there for each of us, Lord, is different. For some of us, it's with family. For some of us, it's with uh, discipling people in the church. For some of us, it surrounds our children. For others, it's different. But the here and now for all of us is the same. Here and now, God, help us to commit not to waste the moments we have to do what we do in the stages we're in. And I pray in the name of Jesus, the great example. Amen.